Our Father, we thank you that you are an ever-present help in times of trouble and that you promise that you will never leave us nor forsake us, that you will be with us to the very end of the age. And Lord, we're thankful for these promises, particularly as we look at this world around us. We see so much brokenness, so much pain. We even look at our own lives and see struggles and, and questions and, and difficulties and concerns as we look at our present and as we look at our future. You are a God who is with us and who is for us. And you've demonstrated your love in such a powerful uh, way through Jesus. And Lord, as we open the scripture today, I pray that you will give us hope. Even though we know that you um, are not taking away all the challenges that we face as long as we are part of this broken world, we thank you that you are here walking with us. We thank you that you give us confidence of a better future. And we pray that, again, as we open the scripture, that you give us hope and that you also reveal to us in fresh ways how you call us to live here and now in this challenging world. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Now, when we look at the world around us, I imagine that for all of us, there are parts of our world that we really don't like very much. Probably if we went around, our list might be a little bit different from one person to the next, but the bottom line is there are parts of our world that we really don't care for much. Let me give you a few examples that might fit your perspective on this topic. I think about violence, for instance. It's hard to turn on the news without seeing something about a shooting down in Milwaukee, about an armed robbery that took place somewhere. Um, I mean, we hear about wars that take place in other countries, but even right here in this country, we hear about school shootings. And just that threat uh, of some being caught up in some sort of random violence is enough to give us trepidation and concern. On top of this, I think of racial tensions, how America, down through our history, has had racism be such a problem woven into our history, but racism is not done here in the U.S. There are remnants of it. There, there is residue of racism that continues to cause problems and divisions all around us. I think of politics. I know politics is a sticky subject, but I imagine that wherever you are on the political spectrum, that there are things going on in politics today that you really don't care for very much, that you wish were different in some way or another, because politics in America is a mess. And wherever you stand on, on immigration policy, I can't imagine that Jesus would support the separation of children from their parents. Things in this world are messy, I think, as well as corp of corporate greed. How companies frequently are focused more on what's going to help their bottom line, more on what's going to help them make a profit than what is truly beneficial for society. I think closer to home, how health issues can wreak havoc in people's lives. I think about broken relationships and broken marriages and how parents frequently struggle with children and, you know, sometimes children struggle with their parents. I think about financial challenges that people face. I think about job challenges, and the list could go on and on and on, but the bottom line is that when we look at the world around us, there are a lot of things that we probably wish were different, that we really don't like the way that they are right now. It can be frustrating. It can be discouraging. It can be disheartening. But Jesus gives us hope. And Jesus gives us good news that he is bringing a new reality into this world. A new reality that is very different than what we experience in the brokenness of our world on a day-to-day -day basis. 
I think of the, that time right after Jesus, Jesus was born when an angel appeared to some shepherds out in the field and say, said, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. I think about how nine months earlier, an angel appeared to Mary and said to her, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And this idea of a kingdom is this new reality that Jesus is ushering in. It's the kingdom of God. And in fact, when Jesus began his ministry, we see in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus said, The time has come. The kingdom is near. Repent and believe the good news. So Jesus is bringing a new reality into this world, into a very broken, messy, just, just challenging world to live in. He's bringing a new reality that is called the kingdom of God. Now this raises a question that, that if we really ponder these topics, is probably coming to mind. It's, okay, we know that Jesus came 2,000 years ago. He was here. He lived. He died. He was resurrected. He, he talked all about the kingdom of God. Yet when we compare today's world with the world that he ministered to 2,000 years ago, things really don't seem to be much better, if at all. Maybe things are even worse than then. And so we wonder, where is this kingdom that Jesus promised? That's the topic that we are looking at today. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. We, we began a new series last week called Parables. And parables is a series that is looking at the series of teachings that Jesus gave. We're looking at Jesus' parables in the book of Matthew. And parables are, are stories that, that, that resemble real life. They're basically real-life situations that are designed to communicate a moral or a spiritual truth. I came across a description this week that I really liked. That a parable is a cosmic truth that's communicated in a concrete way. The cosmic truth is communicated in a concrete way. The concrete way is a story that people can easily recognize and, and relate to, but it, it communicates a very deep truth about God's kingdom. And Jesus loved speaking in parables because parables help people understand deep and important truths about God and about his kingdom. And today we're looking at a parable that is called the parable of the weeds. So I invite you to follow along in your Bibles as I read out of Matthew chapter 13, picking up in verse 24. It says, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone is sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let them grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, First collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, and then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. 
And so what we have here is a parable. It could be called a tale of wheat and weeds. And Jesus starts out in verse 24 saying, the kingdom of heaven is like. And this is the way he begins a number of his parables. He's describing the kingdom of heaven, which is synonymous with the kingdom of God. And he's trying to communicate these truths about the kingdom of God in a way that people can understand. Because the idea of the kingdom of God can be kind of abstract. There are misperceptions about the kingdom of God. So he wants to communicate in a way that these people, the common people there to listen to him, can understand. And so he tells this parable that consists of three main features. The first feature in this parable is the work of a farmer. And it says that this farmer goes out and sows good seed. It's wheat seed, and it's called good because it's, it's pure seed without weed seed mixed in, and it's, it's probably going to be fruitful seed after it's sown. So you see the work of the farmer to sow good seed, but the second feature in this parable is the work of an enemy. For in that same field where the farmer sowed good wheat seed, there was an enemy who came in and started sowing seed of weeds. And no one wants weeds growing among their crops. I think about how last weekend I was, I was working in my garden. I was building a fence around the garden to try to keep the deer out. And my children were working in the garden as well. They each had spades. They were digging. They were actually trying to dig to the core of the earth. You know, when I was growing up, we were trying to dig to China, to the other side of the world. I don't know. Anyway, you can make a social commentary. But... Bottom line, they wanted to get to the core of the earth. They were wondering what's down there. They were trying to dig down to the core of the earth. I was trying to direct them, okay, please dig over here. Don't dig up the actual plants. So they were digging to the core of the earth. I'm sitting there working on that fence. And then I look over there, and they must have gotten tired of trying to dig down to the core of the earth. They got down about that far. And, and suddenly I look over there, and you know those little helicopters that come off of maple trees? They're seeds? They're burying those in the holes. I guess they thought that would be kind of fun. And so I instantly stopped them. Why did I stop them? Because I do not want maple trees growing in my garden. Because when you have a garden, when you have crops, when you have a field, you don't want weeds, you don't want trees growing in there, you want the pure crop. And that's the way it is with any field. And so Jesus is telling this parable, and you have weeds that are growing there in that field. And there are so many weeds, it's clear that something happened. This is not just children just playing around and, you know, planting a few little seeds here and there. There are enough weeds growing in that field that the servants come to the landowner, to the farmer, and say, hey, do you want us to pull those up? And he said, no, not yet. But what he references is that an enemy did this. There is enough weeds growing up. I mean, in any field, you're going to have some weeds. But there are enough weeds growing up all over that field to make it clear that some sort of sabotage went on. And it may surprise you, but this is actually relatively common. It happened back then. It would be a form of revenge that when someone was really upset with someone else, well, what do they do? Well, they go and they, they spread weed seeds in that field at night. And that's why in this parable, Jesus says, you know what? It, it happened while everyone was sleeping. It happened under the cover of night. And it's not that hard to do. I mean, just go out there and, you know, maybe 15 minutes when it's dark, just throw seeds all over the place and give it a couple weeks and those seeds are going to be coming up as weeds. And there are so many of them, it's hard to get out of there. And I mean, you know, this was prominent enough back then that the Roman government actually passed laws making it illegal to throw weed seed in your neighbor's field. 
That's how common this form of revenge was. It happened at least enough that they better pass some laws. Now let's talk for a minute about the type of seeds these are because these were not just any seeds. If you're like me, you probably don't know much about weed seed or about weed names, but here's a little bit of botanical background. The type of weed that Jesus is talking about here goes by the common name today, darnel. And if you want the Latin name, the botanical name, it's lolium temulentum. There's a little botanical uh, education for you. Now, do you see those pictures up there? What does that look like? Wheat. It looks like wheat. It's a weed, but it looks like wheat. Farmers today actually call this false wheat. Because up through most of its growing phase, it looks like wheat. It's only when it gets near harvest that you can tell the difference. And the differences still aren't huge. It comes down to leaf size and, and, and what, the, what, what the little head looks like. But there is a huge difference between this lolium temulentum, this weed, and wheat. They, they come actually from the same family of grasses, but there's a huge difference And that darnel, this weed that Jesus is talking about, is poisonous. It's poisonous to the the degree that I I, I was looking up on a website, and this website says, even a few grains of this plant will adversely affect crop quality. And so if you have this weed with your wheat, you need to get it out of there, or else it's going to ruin the entire batch of flour that you're making with that wheat. And so the servants come to the farmer and say, hey, Should we start pulling out those weeds from that field? And then we see the third feature of this parable. And we see here the the patience of the farmer. There are weeds that need to get out of there. They do not belong in that field. They would taint the harvest if, if they are kept there. But the farmer says, wait. He says, not yet. He recognizes they need to come out of there. And they will come out of there at some point. But not yet. From a practical perspective, odds are good he recognizes that by the time you can recognize these are weeds growing there, they're developed enough that the the roots of the weeds and the wheat are intertwined with each other. And if you try to pull up the weeds, you're probably going to pull up the wheat with it. And so he says, wait. Wait until the harvest. The weeds will come out, but not yet. So this is the parable of the weeds. You have one field. You have two different types of crop, one weed, one wheat growing there, and they're in competition with each other. They're vying with each other for for nutrients and for sunlight, and they will remain for a while until it's harvest time, and that, again, is the parable of the weeds. Now, as I said last week, there are a few parables in which Jesus offers a direct explanation of what's going on, and this is one of those parables. So I invite you to turn your Bibles to Matthew 13, Picking up in verse 36, it says that then Jesus left the crowd and went into a house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. 
The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. And so here is Jesus' explanation of this parable. And it's nice when he explains it because then we can see very clearly what he intends to communicate. And the interesting thing as we look at this, as we really look at the big picture of what Jesus is communicating, is that this parable is basically an explanation of reality. It's a big picture view. It's cosmic truth. I mean, big picture, communicated in a way that people can understand. It's an explanation of reality. It says that in reality, if you, if you go behind everything else that's going on in this world, there are two basic kingdoms. There is God's kingdom and there is Satan's kingdom. And they are both at work vying for attention, vying. They're competing with each other in this world. Now, they are not equal. God is supreme. His kingdom came first, and his kingdom will be the one that is the last one standing. But in our current reality, as we're living life in this broken world, it's broken because we have these two kingdoms competing with one another, God's kingdom and Satan's kingdom. And we see here in this parable, it says in verse 38, the field is the world. So this is describing what we see going on in the world around us. And it says, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. And so we see that God is planting his people in this world. He's working in people's lives. He's transforming people's lives through the gospel. They are people who are already living out the realities of the kingdom of God by submitting to the lordship of Jesus Christ. But here in this parable, we also see in verse 38 that the weeds are the people of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. So at the same time that you have people here in this world right now trying to live for God's kingdom, trying to follow Jesus, you also have other people who have rejected God's rule. They want to do things their own way. And whether they acknowledge it or not, whether they recognize it or not, they essentially are following the truths of the kingdom of Satan. Now, a few of them may call themselves Satanists. Not many. Most are just following the ways of this world. And by doing so, they are not following God, but they're following this other alternative kingdom. It's basically a false kingdom. It's a false claim to the throne. But this is what's going on behind the scenes. You have these two kingdoms in competition with each other. And I want to focus in specifically on a couple truths about the kingdom of God that we can pull out of this passage. One reality of the kingdom of God is that it is radically comprehensive. Now let me explain what I mean by this. Anytime we see any teaching of Jesus or anything that occurs in Scripture, it occurs within a historical context. There's a reason why what is being said is being said. Jesus is speaking here to a Jewish audience. This Jewish audience had expectations for what the Messiah would do. And the core of their expectation is that the Messiah, when he came, would deliver Israel from captivity to Rome. That's what they wanted to see. They wanted to see a political ruler. They, they, in the past, hundreds of years before, had been a free and proud nation, one nation under God, if you want to call it that. But then 
they had become subject to the Roman Empire. They rebelled against God. God delivered them uh, into the hands of enemies. They eventually became subject to the Roman Empire. They did not like that one bit. And they knew the Old Testament. They knew that God had promised that he would send a deliverer, a king, who would rule one day. That's what the angel was communicating to Mary. This this Messiah, this ruler, Jesus, will rule on David's throne. His kingdom will last forever and ever. They knew these promises. And so in this time, as they're oppressed by the Romans, they want freedom. They begin to pray. They say, God, send your Messiah. Send a deliverer. Send someone who will overthrow the Romans and give us freedom once more. That was their deepest desire. And so Jesus comes along and he begins to proclaim, repent, the, the kingdom of God is near. And so they get all excited. But then Jesus comes along and he's not meeting their expectations. Because they're wondering, where is this kingdom? And so what, what he has to do is redefine the reality by which they are interpreting everything that's taking place. Because their view of the Messiah, their view of the kingdom of God is different than what God actually intended. Because their view of the kingdom, they, they love thinking about the kingdom of God, but to them, the kingdom of God was this political and national entity. But God's kingdom is much more radically comprehensive than that. Their, their view of God's kingdom was too small. And so what we see here, kind of reading into this, into this passage, into this parable that Jesus is, is talking about is that he did not come to create an earthly or a political kingdom. If he did, in this parable, he would have had the farmer tell his servants, yeah, pull up the weeds right now. We need to purify this field right now. But he didn't do that. He said, you know what? Leave the weeds for now. They will be taken care of in the future, but not yet. Because the kingdom that Jesus came to establish is much bigger than just a political or a national entity. Because he recognized there's something much deeper going on, something, a problem that's much deeper than politics or much deeper than morality or much deeper than just psychological issues. He recognized the problem is, is that the reality that we are living in in this world is fundamentally broken. That's not how God designed it, but it occurred when Satan rebelled against God because Satan didn't like the idea of God being king. Satan wanted to assert his own will. He wanted to be king, so he rebelled against God. And when God created humanity, Satan came and tempted Adam and Eve to rebel against God as well, to be their own kings, to rule their own universe. Not not their own universe literally, but to to be king of their own realm, to make their own decisions, not not in submission to God's lordship. And so that caused sin and brokenness to enter this world, and that corrupts everything that we experience in this life. And that, that's where you get these two kingdoms. You have God's kingdom, but you also have Satan's kingdom that is deceiving people and pulling people away from God. And Jesus recognized this issue. But we have to remember, Jesus came to bring good news of great joy, that he is the Messiah. He is the Lord. He came to usher in this new reality of God's kingdom. In this parable, he's making it clear. He's saying, you know what? I haven't come to overthrow the Romans. That is not why I came, and he never did that. 
People, the Jews back then, questioned, well, what kind of Messiah are you? You're talking about the kingdom of God. Why don't we see it in action here? He came in order to bring a kingdom that's much more comprehensive and addresses issues on a much deeper level than just the political or the moral level. He came to defeat sin and evil, to defeat Satan himself. And that's why Jesus had to go to the cross. He had to come in order to, to do battle with the fundamental problems that are taking place in this world. And again, that's rooted in sin and evil and in Satan's work. So he went to the cross to pay the penalty we deserve for sin. He was resurrected, and thereby he defeated sin, evil, and death. And that is a fundamental part of how he is instituting the kingdom of God in this world. And so what he offers is a kingdom that not just allows Jews back then to set up their business and, and, and not have to worry about these, these crushing taxes the Romans were imposing on them. That's the type of thing the Jews wanted. What he offered them is actually something so much greater. He's basically saying, you know, imagine a world without sorrow or hatred or grief. Imagine a world without poverty or sickness or injustice or, or without uh, unhappiness or mental illness or family breakdowns. Uh, imagine a world without orphans and without hunger. Imagine a world where all the brokenness is healed. The physical brokenness and the social brokenness and the moral brokenness and, and the spiritual brokenness. That is the kingdom that Jesus is seeking to establish. It's so much bigger than just, you know... Let's try to have a nicer life here on this earth. Let's try to, God, can you please bless my business? God, can you please work out the political messes in our nation? You know, God does care about that stuff as well. But the kingdom of God is much more comprehensive. And Jesus is making it clear that he came not just to, not just to fix a few things here and there, but to usher in an entirely new reality. That's what we see taking place back in Revelation chapter 21. At the end of time, John writes, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And that is a key phrase. The old order of things has passed away. That's talking about life in this broken world. That's talking about this kingdom of Satan that is warring against the kingdom of God and causing problems for all of us every day. It's saying, you know what, at that point, that old order, that broken order, that is going to pass away. And that is when the new reality of God's kingdom will be fully experienced. But that is not coming yet. And that points to the second truth that comes from the parable of the weeds. The second truth is that the kingdom of God is coming gradually and not immediately. I mean, the Jews expected the Messiah to come and to immediately overthrow the Romans, or at least, you know, in a matter of months or a matter of a couple of years at least. And when that wasn't happening, they began to question him. Even John the Baptist had some questions of, you know what, are you the, the promised one or should we be waiting for someone else? Because they expected the kingdom of God to come in with power immediately. And again, they expected it to be a political kingdom. But by the farmer in the parable saying, wait, don't uproot those weeds yet, is calling for patience. Because God's kingdom, there will be a point at which it comes in power. 
For for the time being, until then, we have to be patient. But God is still at work in, in this world. We see again, verse 38 of Matthew 13, the field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. One verse earlier said, the one who sowed this good seed is the son of man. That's referring to Jesus. That God is already at work in this world here and now planting good seed. And this good seed represents people like you and I. People who have been transformed by the gospel, transformed by Jesus, who are living increasingly uh, by the realities of Jesus being our king. That we are following him as our savior and as our Lord. We can be people of the kingdom. The kingdom of God, not the kingdom of Satan. And, and God is already transforming these lives. He's already working through people. And he's saying, look at the world. There are already so many people I have planted, so many seeds I've planted of transformed lives to the gospel. I'm already at work. And we also have to recognize that during this in-between time when we're waiting for Jesus to return and waiting for him to set up his kingdom and power, that we still live in this era where there are weeds. And those weeds represent people who are not living under the lordship of Christ. And that creates hardships. That's where a lot of the brokenness comes from in our world. And unfortunately, there are a lot of people in this world who, who may look like they are religious or may look like they are Christians. But in reality, they are still submitting to the kingdom of Satan. And that's one of the messages that comes through when Jesus is talking about this particular weed that looks so much like wheat. And there are a lot of people who, who may appear to be religious or may quote from Scripture or may be active in the church, but in reality, it's a masquerade, whether they recognize it or not, because they are in reality weeds looking an awfully lot like wheat until the harvest comes. And so we live in this world that's confusing, that's broken. We still, even as we're seeking to follow Christ, can still experience that battle within us. It's a spiritual battle where the Holy Spirit's waging war against our sinful nature that's still a part of us. But we have the opportunity to, to here and now, experience the beginnings of life in the kingdom of God as we follow him and as we submit to him. But we also know there will be a time in the future when, God, when Jesus will return and set up his kingdom with power. And at that point, everyone will be submitting to the kingdom of God. For we see in Philippians 2, that, that at that time, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everyone. That's when God's kingdom will be established in power. That's what's being referenced here in this parable when it says... As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The end of the age. The future at the harvest time. And it says, The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is a reference to hell. Not comfortable, but it's reality. It says, Then... The righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. And so we see this division that takes place between the wheat and the weeds at the end. But it calls for patience between now and then. Patient perseverance. I think farming is a really good analogy 
for the spiritual life. It's a really good analogy for the kingdom of God because farming takes patience. There's a distance of time between the sowing and the reaping. The sowing has already taken place and it's still taking place here in this world now as people are coming to faith in Jesus. But we are still waiting for the harvest to come at some point in the future. But we have a responsibility now to live life in light of the kingdom. We can already experience kingdom realities before Jesus returns. One of the ways we do that is by receiving Jesus by faith. I want to read from Ephesians chapter 2. This is a great picture of what this looks like to be transferred from the kingdom of Satan into the kingdom of God. Ephesians 2, Paul says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So that's talking about there is this other kingdom. It's not the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of, of Satan, the ruler of the kingdom of air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. That's the kingdom of Satan. He says, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we are by nature deserving of wrath. So that's not good news. That characterizes everyone in their natural state. But that's not the end of the story. It doesn't have to be. Paul writes, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. Jumping ahead to verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. This is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And so we see that God offers a new reality. He offers to transfer us from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of, of Christ, the kingdom of God. He offers that transfer, and we can experience that when we come to faith in Christ, not trusting in our own good works to merit favor in God's sight, but trusting what Christ has done through his life, death, and resurrection. And the second piece of this is to submit to Jesus' lordship in our lives. You have to think about this reality of king. If someone is a king, their subjects are to be submitted to them. It's the idea of leadership. That's, that's essentially what the kingdom of God is all about. It's about submitting to Christ's lead, leadership. And that's hard. It's hard to surrender the wheel of our lives to God. Because, you know what, naturally we all want to be in control of our own lives. But Jesus is a leader who is worth following. He is the one who, who can give us leadership and lead us in the way that God truly designed us to live in the first place. And so the call to live in light of God's kingdom now is, is to submit to Jesus' leadership. So when you look at God's kingdom, it's this reality where God's kingdom is already here. It's already at work, but it's not yet been fully established. We are living in that in-between time. But we need to take seriously this reality of two kingdoms. There's God's kingdom and, and Satan's kingdom. Which kingdom are we living for? The way we get into God's kingdom is by trusting Christ and following him. And then we are transferred into God's kingdom. And then we await that time when we will be with Jesus, be with God in heaven one day. Will there be no more sorrow, tears, pain, or mourning? And Jesus wants us to take this very seriously. That's why he ends this parable by saying, whoever has ears, let them hear. He's saying, you know what? Pay attention to this. Don't let, just let it go in one ear and out the other. Take it to heart. Put it into practice. 
submit our lives to the kingdom of God because that's the way God truly designed us. And when we think about the importance of patience, and patience is incredibly important here in this world, we need to remember that there is a reason why God is patient, and that comes out of 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. It says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. He's promised that Jesus will return one day, that, that the kingdom of heaven will be set, set up in power. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God's heart as a loving father is to want everyone to turn back to him for life. Now, as we close, um, close this service, close this message today, I, I want to call our attention to the Lord's Prayer. You know, some church backgrounds, you pray the Lord's Prayer every week, some not so much. But the Lord's Prayer is a model prayer. It's a prayer that Jesus taught his disciples um, to teach them, you know, the, the basic components of, of, of biblical healthy prayer. It's not meant to be recited mindlessly, uh, day after day or week after week necessarily, but he says, you know, let, the, let this be a model for how you pray. And in there, we are called to pray, let your kingdom come. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This idea of God's kingdom coming is saying, you know what? I want to submit to your lordship now. And Jesus, I want you to be at work around me in other people's lives around this world to help more and more people experience life in your kingdom here and now. But Lord, I also look ahead to that time when Jesus will return and set up your kingdom once and for all in power. I look forward to that, but I want to see your kingdom already at work in our lives here and now. So what I'm going to invite us to do is stand together. Um, and, and I want, want us, I mean, if you agree with this idea of wanting to see God's kingdom come in your life in this world, I invite you to join together. We're going to, you know, there's so many different versions of the Lord's Prayer. We're going to recite one of the more traditional versions just because it's familiar to us. And then, uh, then we'll close our service in song. So let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our Father, we do thank you that you are a king. We thank you that you're a good king, a king who did not reject us when we rebelled against you, but instead you offer a way for reconciliation through Jesus. And Lord, I pray that each one of us will be living in light of your kingdom. I pray that each one of us will recognize that fundamental reality that here in this world, there are the two kingdoms. We have a choice of which we're going to live for and live in. Lord, I pray that we will choose your kingdom and that we will submit to the leadership and the lordship of Jesus so that your kingdom will come in our lives and will flow through us so that more and more people around us will come to know Jesus as well. Lord, we thank you that you give us hope for we acknowledge that we still live in a broken world. But Lord, you give us hope and confidence. Please give us patience. Give us perseverance to stick with you through all the ups and downs of this life. And Jesus, we thank you again that you will never leave us nor forsake us. We pray these things in your name. Amen.